choir uh, last night I did a wedding and this was this was the scripture that the groom and bride picked be still and know that I'm God Psalm 46 10 and it was a it was a beautiful uh, beautiful wedding let's pray God we are weary and in you we hope to find rest and love and plenty of mercy and grace Use us this hour, use me, O God, as an instrument that your light might shine and that we might leave here rested and changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all ever heard of an Irish goodbye? Is anybody good at that? My sister Caddy loves an Irish goodbye. We'll be at a big... Big picnic or, you know, week long. It's like, where's Caddy? You know, where did she go? Oh, she's, and then, you know, an hour later, she's calling us, you know, 30 minutes from Smith Lake where she lives, you know. And she always says, Bruce, I just love an Irish goodbye. That is when you slide on out of there, right? And, uh, and, and you just don't say goodbye to anybody, right? Now, Caddy is the most loving, but she's not mean, doesn't have a mean bone in her body, um, but it kind of wears you out, doesn't it? Um, sometimes goodbyes, especially in the South, you have to say goodbye in the living room, then by the door, then at the car. Um, Jesus was pretty good at Irish goodbyes. If you read Mark 1 closely or listened while Alex was reading, he just slipped on out of there and got out of the way. His disciples, though, are panicking. And uh, they hunt him down. And uh, I mean, the literal word there is hunt. I mean, they're desperate for Jesus because, hey, Jesus, everybody's looking for you. People are lined up to get healed. Let's go, Jesus. Let's get back to work. We've got a crowd. We've got the whole Colosseum field. Let's go back. And Jesus says, nah, let's just have an Irish goodbye. Let's go on to the next town. He rejects coaching from his disciples, and uh, they leave these hordes of people. I mean, all these people. Because in the face of great need and great opportunity, Jesus moves on. An Irish goodbye. I mean, couldn't Jesus have stayed, though, just a little bit longer, signed a few more autographs, kissed a few more babies? I mean, why move off so suddenly and so quickly there were lots of sick people, lots of hurting people. Well, in the Gospel of Mark, there's a lot of action. In the, first, in the first chapter of Mark, there is baptism, temptation, healing, exorcisms, all kinds of stuff going on. He's baptized, he preached to big crowds, and he just cast out demons. So, man, he is just flying through that first chapter. This gospel starts at breakneck speed. The word immediately happens 12 times in the first few chapters. And that evening at sundown, they brought him all who were sick and oppressed and possessed by demons. And the whole city, literally, from the mayor to the marching band to the fire trucks, are right there outside his doorway waiting for big things. He's opening his tour uh, to Israel, this opening tour was so successful he couldn't even walk around town without getting hassled. He, but, so he began to stay in the country. And people just kept showing off, showing up. 
Jesus says, let's go to the next town. Because for Jesus, our job is, is done here. Our job is done here. In the face of massive opportunity and need, Jesus moves on. And here's why. Jesus knows his big yes. His biggest yes. He understands his main responsibility. And he's embraced his biggest yes, which is proclaiming the kingdom. Which is creating other healers in the world that can be his hands and his feet. And when you find your biggest yes, hear me out, when you find your biggest yes, then you know where your boundaries are. You know where your no's can be if you've located your biggest yes. And you can say no to other opportunities that might be good. There's a lot of opportunities that are good. But not the main thing. So what is, what is your big yes? I know you've heard this before, but, and it's trite, but it's true. The main thing is to keep the main thing what? The main thing. Don't major in the minors. Major in your big yeses. Now, healing people, I think you'd agree, is a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. But opportunity does not equal obligation. Now, I stole that from my friend Eddie Rester. And so, uh, that's what he said. Well, every, op, your opportunities are not all obligations. Don't tell him I quoted him. He'll get the big head. Um, but it's true. The reason Jesus was able to say next town was that he knew what his main thing was. He knew what he was about. He knew what he was about. His calling, his work, his gifts, and his responsibility could go toward his big yes. And he didn't let the urgent suffocate the importance. Wow. Pause and think about that for a second. Think about that. What does this story have to do with our own reality? If Jesus, the Son of God, didn't want to solve every issue and every problem in human form and he walked the earth, what does that say about you and me? The world is jam-packed full of incredible opportunities and here's this door that Jesus is opening for all of us to be able to say no. And to say it without guilt or shame. To know that I am not the Messiah and I am not all powerful and I'm not God means I've got limits and I've got boundaries. Not every opportunity is an obligation. It was never meant to be that way. Many of us, though, including me, so I'm preaching to myself, we treat every opportunity as an obligation. I have a hard time. No is a tough thing for me to say. And so we live and we suffer with full schedules, long to-do lists, and we end up buried under all kinds of obligations that we wish we hadn't said yes to. It's so easy to be pushed and pulled in a world of need. And it's so easy to be Christians who are a mile wide and an inch deep. But God is calling for depth, not breadth. Depth. Be where you are. Bloom where you're planted. And you can't be planted everywhere. This is terrible timing, by the way. My sermon is, our nominations committee is asking for volunteers to serve in offices. Awful, awful time. I should be guilting you into saying yes, but that's not what Jesus is all about. 
And we, we had about 15 spots to fill. And we had a few people that said, look, no, I, I, I just can't do it. And at first it was a little stressful, but then I thought to myself, man, that's good because they understand that this is a big commitment. Sometimes if you get yeses too easy, what happens? So people aren't really committed. They're not really bought in. And they hadn't thought about the cost of some time. And you know, truly, it's quite fine if you happen to be one of those who said no or not yet. We'll get you later, maybe at a better time. But I think that's just fine. We get so trapped in the yes game, don't we? I need help, Bruce. Yes, you know. Can you serve on this team, this committee, this project? Yes, of course I can. Can you watch my dog while we're out of town? Of you bet you I can. Absolutely. Can you can you get your child to soccer and make sure your child signs up for dance and softball and performing arts and music lessons and scouts? Yes, 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 yes. And we wonder why our kids are so stressed out. My mama used to say, it's okay if you're bored every now and then, you know. You don't have to be entertained all the time, but it's so difficult. And I think there's so much pressure on our parents to say yes to everything and everybody because there's a lot of good stuff for our kids out there. But we wind up with stressed out kids. Our entire culture is stuck on a hamster wheel chasing every yes that comes our way. Why? Because you might look like a slacker. You might look like you're underachieving. Maybe I'll miss out or my child will miss out on that scholarship. Or, you know, there's no rest for the, rest for the weary, Bruce. You know, it's busy, busy, busy. We say and we yes our way to our own kingdoms. And to say I'm busy is almost like a badge of courage or something, right? How are you doing? I'm busy, real busy. And we suffer needlessly to the yes addiction. No wonder we can't sleep. We just can't turn off the yes machine. We think somehow, someday, things will slow down. Maybe when I retire. But guess what? I talk to people who are retired and guess what they tell me? I'm as busy as I've ever been is what they say. It hits every age. And if you live on that hamster wheel... Your kids are probably on it too. If you stay on that hamster wheel, it's hard to get off of it. It'll be hard for your kids to get off of it, no matter how old they get. There are consequences to the yes wheel. Lisa uh, Turquist, in her book, The Best Yes, says, quote, Remember the decisions you make determines the schedule you keep. The schedule you keep determines the life you live. And how you live your life determines how you spend your soul. How you spend your soul. Why? Why are we on this merry-go-round? Fear. That's one reason. We fear that if we say no to somebody about a meeting or a weekly obligation, to listening to somebody's problems, maybe you just don't have time at that point, that they might abandon us or get angry. Or think we're not very nice people. Or worse yet, not really a Christian. We fear that we just might die of FOMO. Y'all know what that is? Fear of missing out. Oh my goodness. We say yes, maybe because we're afraid of somebody. We're intimidated. 
and just don't know how to gumption the courage to say no. Believe me, I'm the chief of all sinners when I say this. So I'm not picking on you, I'm picking on me. There's another reason why we struggle with yes-itis. Guilt. Boy, guilt is the best motivator, isn't it? We think, if I don't do it, who will? It's not going to get done. Guilt hides behind another very deceptive word. Should. S-H-O-U-L-D. Should. I have a good friend who's in the counseling career. She's a very good counselor. She tells me, she, she said, Bruce, over and over, I say it almost every time to people, stop shooting all over yourself. Stop it. Stop it. Find your get to, not your have to. Find your important and let some urgent stuff go. You don't have to hold up the whole world. Isn't that good news? It doesn't all depend on you or me. God's got the whole world. We don't sing, I've got the whole world in my hand. No. Instead of being driven by our desire or passion, we let should bully us into things that we know, like our heart is screaming no, even when our voice is screaming yes. And we jump right on that yes bus going absolutely nowhere. Now here's where we can start our boundaries. You can say no. No is a complete sentence. That's how we set boundaries in the relational world. I wish I could be friends with everybody. And I wish I could join every club in Jackson. Because there's so many great ones. But I can't. I wish I could do everything. I wish we had like... All kinds of ministries all over the place. But the truth is, there's no one church that's that's supposed to do everything. Just just like individuals, churches find their few things that they're good at. It's a lot better than, than being miserable doing a whole lot of things not very well. I know though it feels rude. feels rude to say no, but it's a complete sentence. And if you and I can get through the fear and the guilt, no becomes a word that sets you free. It sets you free. Keeps your soul intact. You know, integrity is like when your outside and your inside are both like in agreement. And when you say yes on the outside, but no on the inside is screaming, then you get fragmented. It just, it just dissipates you. But when we honor an honest no... We don't have to worry about what's going on inside our souls. There's harmony. And you know, other people deserve your honesty anyway. It's really a matter of respect. Here's another great reason why no is sometimes a really good answer. It's because if I say yes to something I should say no to, I'm taking up somebody's spot. You know? Sometimes like... You'll get in, especially like in church, it happens sometimes where you got somebody just trying to do everything, 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 and nobody can find a way in that ministry. It happens. It's like, how do we share? How can I say no that somebody else might, might come in? You know, as a preacher, I was told a long time ago, nobody's Bruce is going to be worried about your calendar, and nobody, very few people are going to come up to you and say, I think you're doing too much. You need to do less. 
That doesn't happen usually. But I thought about it. I think that's true for all of us. You don't have to be a preacher, right? Nobody's checking your calendar when they ask you uh, for things. I've grown a little bit and I've realized when somebody needs something, my time, my energy, my emotional support, my money, they aren't trying to manipulate me or hurt me. They just honestly don't know what's going on in my life at that time. And that's okay. I can treat them with grace. Nobody else is responsible for my schedule. It's my responsibility. It's in my boundaries. And you're responsible for yours. And when I own that, I get a piece of my soul back, literally. Because then I can think about, God, what am I responsible for? Where does my spiritual property start and where does it stop? When Jesus said no to his disciples about continuing to stay to that village and heal, however good and pleasant that could have been, he was saying yes to his greater purpose. And whenever you say yes to something, remember this, there's less of you for something else. So make sure that your yes is worth the less. That came from um, Truist as well, Kathy Truist. No allows us to say yes to the right thing. Let me share with you a positive example. I'm glad Tripp's not here, but I'm going to talk about him for a second. Beth, don't, don't tell him I, I shared this. When Tripp was at Germantown, he really liked soccer. I mean, like, he really liked it. And he was good at it. And, um, yeah, yeah, love soccer. I know it, I know it, I know it, Robert. There's people here who love soccer. He really liked soccer. Now, if you're a soccer parent, raise your hand. You know that like soccer season is torture. You know, it's torture. You, you bring this blow thing that, you know, heats you up. And you try not to burn your skin while you're, you know, it's, it's always five degrees and windy, you know, in late January and, and, and February. And, but Jen and I, we took delight in watching him play soccer. Um, and after his sophomore year, uh, Tripp was like, well, what, what, what's the soccer team doing in the spring? And they said, you're running the stadium in February, March, and April. And Tripp said, I need to find a spring sport um, because I don't want to run the stadium. And so he tried out for the tennis team, and he didn't like tennis. He loved it. He got hooked on it, so much so that he was working at the tennis court. He was learning how to do clinics, work with kids. He was learning the merchandising side of it, and he, he, was, he loved it. But then he had, he told me and Jen, he said, I, I don't want to do soccer anymore. I want to concentrate on tennis. And we said, that's fine, Tripp. I know, boo. I know, Robert. But hang with me, Robert. It gets better. We said, you have to call the coach and tell him. That's all you have to do. And, of course, that was like a, a, a mountain for, for a 16-year-old to tell a coach they're not playing the sport anymore. You remember how intimidating that might have been? But he told the coach that, and he gave his reasoning. The coach was very gracious, and it was like a boulder that fell off a trip's back. And he continued to blossom because he said no to something he liked so that he could embrace a yes to something he loved. What a burden off his shoulders. The courage to say no opens up all these yeses. And now it's easy for me to stand up here and tell you, hey, you know, just don't let your skit calendar get full and don't do all these things. But I know tomorrow morning, 
Somebody's going to want your time. It's going to get hard. But I just challenge you this week to lay claim on your boundaries and ask yourself, what are my biggest yeses? Put those in your jar first. And once you do that, your yeses might be mental well-being, family, career. I don't know what your yeses are, but put those big things in that jar. It's so much easier to fit those in first. And then you can start saying no to the things that people are trying to pull you in. What are your things? What are your big things? If you claim them, you'll know what to say no to. One final word. That is, put your boundary around your Sabbath. Your Sabbath. Put it, put it around your Sabbath. Now we've, that's an old-fashioned, um, dusty word. But you know, God made us to where like once a week, we were called just to kind of shut it down a little bit. Now, Sabbath is not just a day off. You know what it is? It's a day with. So let me ask you, once a week, let me ask you this. What makes your heart sing? Fishing? Hiking? Walking around the block? Listening to music? Enjoying your family? What makes you utterly get lost in the wonder of life and being in the presence of God? What makes you do that? And do that. That's your Sabbath. And let that boundary increase in your life once a week. You can't put it off. You can't delay your joy. You can't delay your awe. We, we don't live to work. We work to live. Where is your Sabbath? Where do you get lost in wonder and love and joy? And do that. Do more of that. Schedule it like it's a commitment for you. Sabbath is one of those things that it made the top ten, right? Must be important. Made the Ten Commandments. Enjoy the Sabbath. And Jesus said, we weren't made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for us. You are not a human doing. You're a human being. So work on those boundaries this week. Two questions. What are your biggest yeses? And get them in your jar, your spiritual jar. And where and how will you experience Sabbath? What will make your heart sing? That's the good news. You never thought no would be good news? No is a really good news at times. Find those boundaries and it will set you free. Let us pray.